Hello and welcome back to Character Concerns, the podcast I started because sports went away for a while and I was the only person left in America without his own podcast. We are here once again to discuss a classic TV character and this time around we're headed to McKinley High School to talk about everybody's favorite stoner drummer, Nick Andopoulos. You might know him as the Jason Siegel character from Freaks and Geeks and and here with me today to talk about Anything and everything related to Nick is a man who had a friend who did a podcast once, and you know what happened to him? He died. It's Sean Hyken, everybody. <laughs> What's going on, man? I remember when we were because we were we were talking about this when we were both rewatching, and we kind of agreed that Mr. Weir is actually like the most underrated character on the show. Like every single Mr. Weir scene is great. Oh my god, it's just he's unbelievable. It's just such such an like such a perfectly crafted like strict eighties slash 90s dad character where it's just he's very old school and was clearly raised by someone of like slightly before our parents generation right um and it's just like it's just note perfect how good he is my favorite mr weir line i think is uh when you know when like they're the family is just sitting on the couch and sam is talking about how cindy won't go out with him and and and, and mr weir says something like well, you know, it's always, you know, a man, a, a young, a young man needs to test the waters. And Lindsay's like, what about me testing the waters? And he's like, you can test the waters too after you get married. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It's like every scene. And I'm, I'm rewatching Veronica Mars right now too, because to, I'm going to talk about Veronica with Steve on the podcast at some point. And there's a, there's a line exactly like that in Veronica Mars too. I've never um, seen Veronica. That is a travesty, honestly. Okay. Um, you absolutely Okay, I'll, I'll I'll add it to the list. I'll check it out. Uh, I honestly like. So I've been going back. I it, I'm actually glad that you're doing this because this gave me an excuse to rewatch Freaks and Geeks, which I usually do about once a year because it's probably my favorite TV show of all time, and I own the box set. But it, like for whatever reason, like I've just had a lot of stuff going on the last few years, so I think it's probably been two or three years since I've rewatched the whole thing. And so I just kind of blew through it this whole week. I honestly, I mean, you obviously probably have your own thoughts on this, but I, to me, there has never been a better TV show made than freaks and geeks. Just start to finish. Every single episode is perfect. All the characters are great. Like every single, there's, there, there isn't even like, you don't have even like most great TV shows. There's a couple of like B subplots where you're just like, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is kind of not that interesting, but every single plot line on freaks and geeks is great. All the characters are great. All the lines are great. Like just everything about it is just, so perfectly executed honestly the biggest thing about it is it's just like the most stacked cast in like the history of tv basically everybody that was a a star on the show went on to become a notable actor in some way like linda cardellini obviously as Lindsay weir john francis daly had his own career and also has written like multiple spider-man movies james franco sam levine seth rogan we're gonna talk obviously about jason siegel like martin Starr is like the ninth lead of the show (laughs) busy phillips like even you go down into like the supporting characters like eli the the special needs character that's ben foster like (laughs) (laughs) i know it's it's crazy it's like there's like there's there's just Lizzie Kaplan as uh you know Nick's late series girlfriend like Rashida Jones Gold- has like a bit part in it Rashida Jones is in it um Goldberg the goalie from Mighty Ducks is in it like <laughs> there's so many great characters and even like and even like he was obviously a star before this but uh, or at least a, a known actor but uh Biff from Back to the Future is the gym team yes that's just it's like it's unbelievable and um what's his name um Kevin, Kevin Tighe, uh, John Locke's dad from Lost, 
is Nick's dad. Yeah, see, Lost is another show that I never watched. Oh, man, you never watched Lost? See, there are so many people for whom they say, like, oh, my God, Lost was such a waste of time because they didn't like the finale. And for, right. for what it's worth, like, the finale wasn't great. I think that there were good parts of it. It didn't completely ruin it for me like it did for some other people. But mostly what they're reacting to is the last five minutes of the finale mm-hmm. is what they didn't like. But even then, you're talking about, like, Let's say it's the whole finale. You're talking about two episodes out of like 140 hours worth of television. To say that it was a waste because you didn't like the last two seems crazy to me. Well, I, I don't know. For me, I think it's Lost seems like a show that would be a lot of fun to watch at the time, like while it's on and you're following. Oh, my it God. And, yes. And stuff. And, you, you know, you're, you're following it. and You have your own theories about what's going on, because I had a ton of friends in high school and early college when it was. Uh, when the show was still on and like all of my friends were like obsessed with it. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, I just like never got into it. But then like, I tried to watch it a little bit after that. I watched like the first four or five episodes and, you know, I thought it was fine, but I was just, I was, I was not at the point with it where I was like, I'm going to just devote, you know, 150 hours or however many hours of this there is. And really just like obsess over every single character and every, like what every single little clue means, which it seems like you really have to do in order to be into lost. Like, it seems like it's not the kind of show you can just like, you know, watch and you know you know be be invested in it but not just be like totally obsessed with it and i just like i've never really had the bandwidth to do that after them it's it's definitely not a background noise show right. but it's also one that your obsession with it comes gradually like at the okay. beginning it just seems like oh this is an interesting premise you know they're stuck on an island mm-hmm. um but then there starts to be obviously some elements revealed and everything is off about the island that they're on and you know it it starts getting really, really good towards like the back half of season two. Um, and then especially into season three when they decided like, okay, we're ending this three seasons from now. Um, once they set an end date, that's when it really kicks into gear. Anyway, speaking of obsession, we're going to talk about <laughs> Nick Andopoulos, um, one of the most obsessive characters in TV history, just in terms of his personality. But I, I want to start here because... On sort of the the list of characters that I wanted to talk about on this podcast, I had multiple Freaks and Geeks characters, Lindsay, Daniel, Sam, any number of other. uh, I think I had Bill on there, too. Um, But you chose Nick, and I want to know why you chose Nick. Because I kind of identify with Nick, maybe not as much in my present life, but, you know, certainly in high school, I had a lot in common with him. Like, I mean, obviously, like the, the obvious starting point, anybody who knows me knows that I'm also a massive Rush fan. And I, you know, back in my younger days when I was a drummer, I was a huge Neil Peart fan. And like, so, you know, I'm, right from there, like that high school was when I first watched this show. So I was like, OK, Nick's my guy. Like, we have that in common. But, you know, we, we just kind of are the same in the sense of, you know, you just talked about Nick having sort of an obsessive personality. And I feel like I'm the same way in terms of if it's something that I'm into, whether it's like a band that I like, or, you know, a TV show that I am really into, or like now, you know, in my, our current shared career path of covering the NBA, you kind of have to be really obsessive about details and, and, you know, remember all this obscure stuff. And so I've always kind of been drawn to characters who are sort of like that. And I think Nick uh, really just, embodies you know that type of you know that personality type that maybe i had at the time in high school better than i think any other tv character has it's it's interesting that you latched onto him when you were in high school and now it's got to be what like not not quite 10 years for you since you oh no i had my 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 10 year reunion which i did not go to was lat was uh 2018 Okay, so we watched it around the same time then. I first watched it uh-huh. the summer between my senior year of college and my first year of law school. And at that time, I was similarly very into Nick. 
And yeah. in the like a few times that I watched it since then, I was very into Nick. And now, you know, I guess it's for me, it's like 11 years after I watched it for the first time when I watched it this time to prepare for this podcast, I found myself like a very anti Nick this time around, just in terms of the way he's characterized and a lot of the things that he does. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just me getting older or the way that I view the world has changed or, you know, the actual circumstances of the world have changed a lot. But there's there was a lot of things this time around that I found not necessarily annoying, but sort of it, it's clear that they were there to make him not as perfect as he seems if you're a high school kid who's into music who gets into the series for the first time and you're like oh that's my avatar yeah but honestly at the same time like you can sort of uh see i mean yeah yeah i mean certainly there are things that he does or things that he says or other things where you're just like yeah maybe that maybe i would have handled this differently or maybe he should have handled this differently but you can just see where he was coming from at the time first of all i always felt like nick's heart was in the right place i never felt like he was trying to hurt anybody or do anything wrong like throughout the whole show, which you can't necessarily say about, you know, Daniel, for example, who's just, you know, he's he's a lot more problematic, I think, in some other way uh, than uh, Nick is like you always feel like Nick means well. But I mean, even like I mean, I, I would say the most quote unquote problematic thing about him is just kind of the way he acted in general when he and Lindsay were together, where he was just totally like obsessive and smothering her and just kind of really, really just rubbing you know everybody the wrong way in terms of just like being, you know, totally over enthusiastic about like finally having a girlfriend but you know what though like honestly i mean i I, i'm not gonna sit here and act like i really ever got girls in high school because i didn't but you know when you get (laughs) when you get to you know you get to you know early college you start actually you know dating a little bit you know early on i had no idea how to act i probably acted sort of similarly with my first you know couple of people i dated in high school uh as Nick did with Lindsay. And now obviously, you know, as you grow up, you kind of learn, okay, maybe you want to dial it back a little bit. Maybe that's not the way to go about it, but I can certainly relate to like, you know, this kid who was never, you know, the guy who got girls. And then, you know, suddenly once that starts to turn a little bit, you're just like, Oh wow. you go from like never having that to all to to suddenly like it's happening really fast. You're just like, Oh, I guess I have to like, you know, just be totally invested in this all the time. Like I have to be obsessed about this. And it's just, you know, you end up finding out that that's really not the way to, to do it. But I can certainly relate to, you know, having to learn that and, you know, having you know learn that the hard way in a couple of times. Uh, in- yeah, and they certainly made that a repeated character trait for him because, uh-huh. you know, they baked it into that story about when he's first becoming obsessed with Lindsay. And it's, you know, all about how his previous ex-girlfriend, he was sort of like, you know, obsessive over her, too. And he right. her her dad called the cops on him and he got arrested or something or other, like very clearly. Yeah. And like very clearly his um, it's not necessarily like an addictive personality, but it's it's very much an obsessive personality where, you know, if he finds someone that shows him attention or really likes him in any way, he latches on to them very strongly. And I think it's pretty clear that he does that because of his relationship with his dad, who like dismisses him in just about every way possible that you know that we see them interacting throughout the series that's that's not an excuse for the way he acts a lot of the time but it's very clearly the driving force of the way he latches on so strongly to anybody that shows him any kind of attention or affection right and then you can kind of see he knows that you know he that that's you know a problem with his personality but he still is not really able to change it because remember you know when he early on when he's and Lindsay start dating and she kind of figures out the story of what happened with uh, his last girlfriend uh Heidi yeah, I think it's Heidi. And like, you know, she finds out that story and Nick, you know, gives her that whole uh, 
you know, speech about how like, you know, this is what happened and it just made me really insecure and I'm trying to work on that. It's like, okay, then he turns around and like acts the exact same way towards Lindsay. And then like later on in the show, kind of towards the end when he starts going out with uh, Lizzie Kaplan and it's, and suddenly he's like, oh, I'm in a disco now because like I have this new girlfriend and like this is like this is what she's into. So I'm in a disco now. I'm going to go all in on this. Like like it just kind of you see the same pattern just kind of repeating itself over and over again. Yeah. And he was I mean, I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but to me, he was very clearly acting that into uh, the Lizzie Kaplan character, Sarah, as oh. a way to try to win Lindsay back. And he sort of covers it up at the end when Lindsay comes to him in that last episode and she's like you know ken thinks you're just doing this to try to win me back and he's like no that's ridiculous you know right she really likes me but it it, it seems pretty clear to me that he actually was but oh 100 percent there's and that, and that scene is great where they're you know at the at the disco uh like dj party or whatever and you know and nick is about to enter this dance contest and you can just see like first of all like Lindsay walks out of the club before he actually goes on to be in the dance contest and they're just like it freezes just with like a look on her face where you can just it's 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 clearly it's obvious like first of all she still likes nick and i think that if the show had been allowed to continue after one season like i would imagine they probably would have ended up getting back together at some point but then after you know nick goes through the dance contest and then the next guy comes on and is like doing magic tricks and it's just like a way better dancer than nick then Nick is just kind of, you see the look on Nick's face where he's just like, what am I even doing here? Like, I don't like this. I'm only, I was only doing this to try to get Lindsay back. Yeah. I, I kind of disagree that Lindsay still likes him. I think that she liked that he liked her. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, that's, that's not necessarily what we're here to talk about, but I can see where you would come from the other side. Anyway, we've talked obviously about a few of his character traits, but what, what do you think is the thing that def- defines Nick Moses as a character? That is a good question. I think Nick, is kind of, I mean, this is probably true of a lot of people on Freaks and Geeks, but I think he's kind of lost, and I think he's kind of still trying to figure out who he is. And that kind of manifests itself in a lot of different ways in terms of, you know, he starts, you know, trying to, like, first of all, he's like, he's really into drumming, which, you know, I was when I was in uh, high school. And then, uh, you know, he's, he's really into that, but he doesn't really, like, he is not as obsessive about it as he seems like he is. It's very, it's very surface level. Like, like it's it's kind of the equivalent of, like, somebody who's always, like, you know, there, there are certain, you know, NBA players that you and I talk about in our line of work who are always posting on Instagram about how hard they're going in the gym. But, you know, maybe they're maybe they're not really like Nick is, you know, really big on like there was a scene where he's putting on the Rush song and he's playing along to it. And he like he puts the dry ice in the container and he's like has the disco like the, like the strobe lights going. But he's like not very good. And then when his uh, his uh, dad gives away his drums, he's just like, yeah, you know, I, he gave away my drums. What can I do? Like he's he's not that is obsessive about it like in real for real as he acts like he is like he he's obsessed with the idea of being like a drummer in a band but he's not like he doesn't practice as much as maybe he should or he's not really like it seems like he's not really like about it in that way and then you know when he gets into disco it's like okay i'm gonna you know do this dance contest but you know clearly he was only in it because that was what made uh, his new girlfriend like him but then once he wasn't the best at that he was just like yeah i don't know i, I i'm not doing it anymore that's a really good point about the drumming, and they they did an episode about it late in the season, the one where he, you know, sort of moves in with the Weirs, yeah. and Lindsay's dad is telling him, like, you know, if you really love drums, even if you didn't have a drum set, you would be, you know, like, using drums on the sidewalk or a garbage can or whatever, right. and, like, that's very clear, and, you know, the thing you said about Instagram, like, very clearly, if this show was on now, Nick would be a guy who was, like, having people take pictures of him sitting behind the drum set all the time, but not actually practicing all that much. So I think that that was a very good point. The thing that I had as his defining trait was that just like he cares so much about what other people think of him 
That's why, like, he's he's always talking about, you know, how he has a girlfriend. And he's like, the the first thing he does after him and Lindsay kiss is like he goes and tells Daniel and Ken about how much they, they like each other. And now it's going to be great. Um, you know, he he cares. He wants to seem cool for his friends because and this is something I think I'll bring up again a little bit later. Like the way the show is framed about the freaks and, and the geeks, like the geeks are the the outcasts of the entire school and everybody makes fun of them and picks on them and whatnot. But it's not like the freaks are the cool kids. You know, they're like outcasts among the school, too, just for a different reason. And then even among that group, Nick is sort of the outcast where like they all make fun of him all the time and sort of like pity him like and they're practically begging Lindsay to not break up with him just because they don't want him to go crazy like he did with the last girl you know so it's just like he has this very interesting role within that friend group where he's always trying to impress the people that are like his best friends and it's very strange right and I think that's why he and Lindsay are sort of drawn to each other because she's also when she starts hanging out with them it's like you know, she's not, it, it's kind of a similar dynamic between him and uh, Ken and Daniel as it is between Lindsay and Kim, where, like, they're friends and, like, they really like each other, but they're also, like, Kim is just very hardcore about, like, you know, she, you know, obviously she and Daniel have sex, which Nick and Lindsay never do, but like, but then also, like, she's, like, a lot more, like, into drugs and, you know, kind of more willing to, you know, break the rules and, you know, do, and, you know, do stuff like that than, Lindsay maybe is and Lindsay like wants to be in with them but she also like doesn't want isn't want to go as far as w- with it as some other people are or, uh, you know as, as Kim is and then you know Nick is kind of in the same boat with the you know the male characters kind of in that like because you know Ken is just like the complete you know stone or just like one end of the spectrum and Daniel is the guy who like actually gets into trouble and actually like uh like you know steals tests and stuff to to cheat off of it like like that and like that kind of stuff and I feel like Nick is sort of caught in between where like he wants to be, you know, he's he's part of the group, but he's not really at one extreme end of it or the other. Like, and and so he just kind of is looking for his place in it. And honestly, I can sort of relate to that in high school because, like, I a lot of my uh, friends in high school that I hung out with were like huge stoners, and I'm not gonna act like I never ever smoked weed because you know I did it, you know, somewhat, but Sean, I was never. That's a drug. Okay. Hey, it's legal. It's legal and it's legal in Oregon now, but I'm not, but like, but like I'm, what I'm saying is that like at the time my, you know, relationship with it was, you know, if I was like at somewhere and it was offered to me, I like, it was passed to me, I would partake, but I was never, it was never like a driving force in my life in the way that it was for some of my friends. And, you know, and so I was always like, I was like in with that group, but I was never like fully in with that group because I was never the one like, Hey, like, let's go, let's go buy some weed. Like, let's, you know, and, and so I kind of feel like in a, in, in some degree, obviously, Nick was a lot more of a of a weed person than I was. But he he's kind of I kind of relate to him being kind of, you know, he's in the group, but he's not the one that's like driving what they do. And he's just kind of more follows along than he does actually like take the initiative on stuff. Yeah, he definitely he like that's why to me, I thought like the thing that defines him is like he he wants other people to think he's cool and he doesn't necessarily know what's cool. So sometimes he thinks it's being a drummer. Sometimes he thinks it's smoking a lot of weed. Sometimes he thinks having your girlfriend, sometimes it's, you know, something else like being at a disco, being at disco. Some it's, it's clear. He thinks that not caring about school also is part of what something that would make him cool because Daniel doesn't care about school and Ken doesn't care about school, but you know, they make clear late in the season. Ken doesn't care about school because he's going to inherit his dad's business and then sell it for a bunch of money and retire. Um, so he doesn't need to care about school. Apparently Ken is like really well off and just hangs out actually. Anyway, we, we have talked about a bunch of Nick's qualities, but not a lot of them have been positive. So 
<laughs> that's why I want to go to what what do you think his best qualities are? I had a few nominees, I guess, written down, but they're not they're all like very surface level type of things, which is interesting just because of the way that I think about like I like him as a character, but it doesn't seem like he has that many good qualities. Like for for me I had he is a decent drummer, a mm. decent dancer, he's good with parents, and he has a good hook shot. And that was all I have. Okay. Well, I mean, he has phenomenal taste in music, first of all. <laughs> so like, Okay, that was, that's good, too. So that was, I mean, obviously, like like I said, that was kind of why I, I identified with him. Like, like, right from the first episode, you know, he, he, you know, he and Lindsay cut out of school. He, he takes her to his garage and shows her his drum kit. He's like, man, I almost have as many drums as Neil Peart from Rush. And I was just like, okay, yeah, that's also my favorite drummer. Like, I, I, I'm with you on that one. Like, so, like, so there's that. But then I think, I think that, I think the thing that's good about Nick is that he just, he cares so much. It's not just that, like, I mean, we talked about a kind of how that manifests itself negatively in terms of, oh, just, uh, he, you know, he cares so much about being cool and he cares so much about what other people think of him. He just, he cares a lot, period. And I think that, you know, if that was applied in other areas of life, I think it might be a more positive thing than it ends up being. But, like, that, that's something that I point to with him where I'm just like, okay, there's, you know, that, I think there, there's something a little bit deeper there with him than maybe it lets on, you know, in other parts of the show. Yeah, I think that, you could say he definitely cares about Lindsay and he goes to great lengths to do stuff for her. Right. It's just not always for altruistic motives. You know, like when he, when Lindsay's parents are going to make her go to the dance and he's like, Oh, I'll go to the dance with you. Like, it's clearly he's doing her a favor, but he's also doing it like, cause he's trying to get with her. Yeah. And then late in the run of the show where she's doing like the mathletes and he decides he's going to show up there. Um, and he's doing it because he wants to be seen as the one out of those guys that will come support her. But then Kim shows up and he's like, all right, I'm out of here. Like, yeah, you know, um, there, he, he will do things for, for his friends. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's for himself as opposed to for them, which I think is interesting again, cause he's like objectively, I think out of, you know, the original freaks, like the least actively malevolent. Right. Um, but he does like there is that undercurrent. Well, I don't know. I would actually I would actually counter that because Ken is like not actively anything. He's just making fun of everyone. Right. <laughs> every second that he's on the screen. Like, I don't think there's a single line in the show for Ken other than when he's dating that girl late in the season. Yeah. Everything else he says is making fun of someone. Which, by the way, that was I mean, we're getting diverging a little bit. But that was I just watched that episode again a couple days ago. And that was such a good plot line and such a well done plot line. Very and it was so... far ahead of its time. Right. Too. That's like, the thing is like. Like, cause I remember watching that in high school, uh, which was, you know, I think I watched this series for the first time, like 15 years ago. And, uh, I remember like that being, you know, that even, and even like at the time I watched it in probably, I don't know, 2005, 2006, the show came out in 99. So it was even still a few years out from when, uh, that show had aired, but it was still like, that was not that type of, you know, that type of stuff was not something that anybody really was talking about on like mainstream TV shows. Now you fast forward to, 2020 and obviously the conversation about gender identity and you know that those sorts of issues has completely evolved and now that kind of stuff is addressed in mainstream you know tv and, and media and art and stuff all the time and yet you go back and you watch the show that was made 20 years ago when nobody was talking about it and how they dealt with it and you know there's certainly some potential for you to look back and be like yeah this wouldn't hold up today but i feel like it would yeah it it holds up surprisingly well especially when you consider that the group of people that made this show tend to have very like even in movies like you know 40 year old virgin 
there is just like a string of jokes like you know how i know you're gay which right. like is not something that would wind up in a movie these days and right, to that deal with that wouldn't fly right to deal with you know the subject of someone born with both sex organs you know as progressively as they did on this show is really interesting coming from this group of people like and also the fact that this show was set in the early 80s and like Ken accepted it as as well as he did when the information like obviously it took him like a little bit to do it but then it ended up being like something where he was just like okay I'm cool with it. Right. That's what I mean. Like and and it wasn't like they had anybody going out there and like saying the really kind of horrible things that people would say to someone like that even now people would right. say to someone like that. You know, there are plenty of people that talk about trans people that way all the time and she's not um uh, trends you know it wasn't a decision that she made to choose one over the other um or you know a way that she felt and decided that she was going to transition it was just something she was born with and just like i think there are still people now that would be very dismissive and very hateful about that and the fact that the show didn't go there in a show set in the late 90s about the early 80s i think just for the the group of people that made that show is pretty surprising um and I guess pretty prescient too, you know, it's, it's ahead of its time just in terms of even being willing to discuss that. Um, We have talked about some of Nick's worst traits already, but I do think we need to get into it a little bit more. You know, the obsessiveness obviously is the big one. Um, And then I just think also just like the, the fact that he's willing to change his personality to seem cool for his friends or for his girlfriend or for whoever it is. um, That's another thing. I guess more than anything else, it's just like an insecurity. Like he doesn't, you, you said it earlier, like he doesn't really know who he is and he's trying to figure it out, but he's trying to figure out what version of him people will like as opposed to, you know, who he actually is. Right, and he just sort of, if he's in one uh, area, he just goes all the way in on that area. Whereas like, like you know, in the, in the weed episode, you know, that becomes like the defining thing about him is he just smokes weed all the time. And that's like the entire, you know, that's his entire personality for that episode. And then when he's into disco in the, uh, you know, towards the end when he starts dating his, uh, his next girlfriend, he totally changes the way he dresses basically overnight. And now suddenly he's, you know, working on these dance moves and he just complete come becomes a completely different person, basically just to impress this one girl, because he was like, well, I wasn't getting anywhere kind of being the rocker, you know, stoner guy. I'm going to, I guess I'm a disco guy now. Now I'm going to go all the hundred percent, all the way in on being a disco guy. And then after, you know, the dance contest goes the way it goes, we're like, you know, you watch his, his performance in the dance contest and it, you know, it seems like he's fine. You know, it seems like he doesn't do a terrible job and, you know, it seems like people like it, but then that next guy comes on and he's like doing the card tricks and he's just like, Whoa, I'm like way out of my depth. I'm not going to be like, nobody's going to look at me and be like, Oh, well, he's the best disco dancer because like immediately after him, somebody else is better than him. So then immediately, like you see that look on his face at the end where he's just like, what am I doing? Like, and it seems like he's kind of still back at the place where he started. At. Yeah. I would say that, you know, if the, if they showed the next few weeks, like he would be smoking a ton of weed again, very quickly. And, right. uh, you know, getting back into some trouble with Daniel and Ken pretty soon, you know? Um, anyway, so let's, let's talk about his place in the show. Um, uh-huh. we, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but he is like the outcast among the outcasts, but he's also just like the weird boyfriend too. Like, yeah, he, he occupies multiple roles in the show, which is interesting for a guy. Like I, I thought when I was going back and watching the show, it's not quite as much of an ensemble show as I remembered it being like Nick is not necessarily one of the leads. Like, I think it's very clear. Lindsay and Sam are the leads of the show and everybody else is supporting them in some way. 
And it's it's interesting to have one of those supporting guys play kind of multiple roles within the show because he's part of Lindsay's friend group and has the role within that friend group, but he also has the role as like Lindsay's obsessive boyfriend and ex-boyfriend and then also becomes like a you know a, a project for Mr. Weir to take on like there there's a bunch of different spaces that he occupies within the show. Yeah, and I would say he's definitely the most I guess indispensable of the of of the freaks or the the quote unquote freaks in the show. I mean, I think I think he I think they give him a little bit more depth than they do uh, Daniel. Like over the course of the show, I think like 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 they get into Daniel's family life a little bit. You know, and, and there's a, one episode where like his mom is being like, "Hey, you need to go pick up your dad's uh, prescription pills or whatever." Like they get into that a little bit, but not nearly into the same depth that they do with uh, with Nick and. You know, Kim, they definitely do go into her family a little bit more, but it's also like she's she's definitely more of a background character for the most part, except for like the couple of episodes that she's prominent. in. I think Nick is more prominent in more episodes and in more plot lines. I think he's definitely more prominent in more episodes and plot lines. But I think Kim is more integral to the story just because so much of the story is about like what's going to happen with Lindsay. And it's like very clear that they position she can be Kim or she can be Millie. And like that is sort of the driving, you know, plot line of the show. Right. And she doesn't really see herself as either one full. Right. But you need Kim there. Like without Kim, the show doesn't work, I don't right. think. Because there's uh-huh. there's no like freak girl that it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen if Lindsay turns into her? Like that's, right. you know, Mr. and Mrs. Weir are doing everything they can to prevent Lindsay from turning into Kim is basically like the driving force of those characters and you know the the main thrust of the entire show so like nick is definitely essential and he fills a lot of roles but i do think kim is the more indispensable of the two even though she's not necessarily as involved in everything just because you know she represents essentially everything that Lindsay's parents don't want to happen you could be right about that i think that's a pretty interesting way of looking at it. yeah so um are there any other characters that you can think of, whether in this show or, you know, in other shows or movies that are like Nick Andopoulos? Well, I mean, basically every character that Jason Siegel has played since then is yes. some version <laughs> of is some. I mean, and I mean, I guess that's true of kind of all those guys, like every Seth Rogen character is pretty much a version of Ken and, you know, et cetera, like kind of all of those like Judd Apatow, you know, adjacent actors. This is kind of the prototype of like what all of them ended up becoming. So, you know, just name any one of those, uh, you know, guys from, we- you know, whether it's I Love You Man, which, you know, there's obviously the, the, the Rush thing with that, like that, you know, mm-hmm. that was, you know, obvious connection. But, you know, the, it's kind of, he, he, this is kind of the prototype of like all the characters he played in all those. Movies. Yes, it's basically, the, the thing I had written down also was every other Jason Siegel character. But <laughs> right. the, the two that I singled out most were Undeclared, where he basically just plays like if, Nick's girlfriend went off to college and he remained obsessed with her. And then forgetting Sarah Marshall, where it was like, if Nick grew up, became a TV show composer and became obsessed with his girlfriend. Like it's those two shows are like exactly this character transported into a slightly different setting. I was planning on going back and rewatching Undeclared this week, which I've I saw I watched Undeclared once back like when I first watched Freaks and Geeks because it's basically it's obviously not the same characters but it's a lot of the same actors and it's 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 spiritually like a sequel to Freaks and Geeks. I haven't gone back to it since then because it's I mean it, it was it was good but it was it's not nearly like on the level of Freaks and Geeks and like how good but it's not on the level of Freaks and Geeks. 
but it it holds up very well. I watched it, I think, last year. It's okay. also just I think the reason it's not you know quite on the same level. It's just much more overtly a comedy, whereas right. this there's a lot more. It takes things much more seriously, right? In in freaks and geeks than in undeclared. Yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying it, but it didn't it didn't like hit me on the same level that freaks and geeks did because I mean I think one of the things that's just incredible about this show and why you know this is one of the greatest shows of all time is this show was filmed and released in the late nineties or like early two thousands. It was set in the early eighties, and for you know guys like us who went to school in the two thousand, it still was like exactly like how high school actually was. Like so much of it was just so timeless. Yeah, and now we're watching it in 2020, like me, 15 years after I graduated from high school, um, and like 10 or 12 years since I watched it for the first time, and it, like it holds up just as well. It's um, still so funny, like every single every single part of it, and even like some of the really lesser characters that like like Millie's awesome. Uh, Millie has like maybe my whole my favorite line on the entire show in the episode where. Lindsay is high and, and Billy's taking care of her uh, at the, uh, you know, at the babysitter house. And she's like, I know what high people look like. I went to a Seals and Crofts concert. <laughs> like Millie, Millie's incredible. Even like, even like the really minor characters, like the, like that dude that's like works at the store where Sam buys the disco suit. And then who's the DJ at the, in the last episode? Like he's funny. Uh, Mr. Kalchevsky, yeah. the math teacher is funny. Like, have you seen, well, have you seen, the, have you seen the deleted scenes? No. Dude, so I, didn't I have even the, know there were deleted scenes. So I have I have like the special anniversary like Blu-ray box set uh, of the whole series. Like that's how I'm watching it now that it's not, not now that it's like not on Netflix anymore. Uh, Humble brag, Jesus. And so I've been and so like well no I mean I bought this years ago because it's, it's it's one of those things where it's like I don't own a lot of like TV shows at this point just because like almost all of them are on streaming services. But Freaks and Geeks is one where it's just like. Like, I feel like I should own this, like, just because this is, like, probably my favorite TV show of all time. And it's also, there's not a million seasons of it to buy, so you can just, like, buy the one box set, and it's not, like, taking up all the space. But anyway, they have all the deleted scenes, and so I was, like, looking through some of the deleted scenes. And in the episode, the in the episode where Ken is dating the girl who has the uh, gender identity, uh, and he, you know, he goes and talks, you know, in the show, he goes and talks to Mr. Rosso, where he's like, hey, does that mean, does this mean I'm gay? There's a deleted scene where Mr. Kalchevsky calls him into his office and says, uh, Mr. Rosso, Ken, Mr. Rosso told me to talk to you because you think you might be gay. And I happen to be gay myself. And, All right. and, and of course, Ken is like, uh, I have a girlfriend, like I'm not. And, 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 and then Mr. Kalchevsky is just like really mad. Just like, why, why did he, why did he send him to send you to me? Like, like it was, it was, it was a funny scene. Like I, I kind of wish they'd it left. It just that seems one like in. a strange direction to take Kalchevsky. Like, are they trying to humanize him in some way? Because the rest of the show, like, he's such an asshat. Right, but maybe this is one of those ones where, like, uh, maybe, like, I think when they made that episode, I don't think they thought that the show was going to get canceled after one season because I think ratings were starting to pick up and, like, they were starting to get good reviews and so they thought maybe we'll get picked up for another season. So he's probably one of those characters where, like, I figure maybe they will... You know, if they had gotten a second season, he maybe would have gotten developed more. I know, I know what one that I had heard was. I, I know that like Judd Apatow and Paul Feig have said that if they had gotten a second season, they would have tried to develop the relationship more between Bill's mom and Coach Fredericks. Like that was a plot line that they really wanted to revisit, and it never ended up happening because the show got canceled. But like, yeah, I remember also they they shot the finale during the middle of the season because they had like heard whispers that they were going to be canceled. Right, and so they just wanted to get that one in the can. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's go on to the moments. What do you think the best Nick Andopoulos moment is in the whole show? I got two nominees, and I'm interested to see if either of them are yours. Uh, I think 
I I referenced this one before, but when he uh, was putting on the Rush album and playing along to it, and like it shows and has like the the strobe lights and the dry ice, and like he seems like he's like it's like he's like really rocking out, like he's really just like he's killing it. And then they cut to like they take off the music like from the album, and they just show like him playing and singing, and he's actually terrible. <laughs> but and so I think I think that's one of them because it just it just shows like how he sees himself in his head while he's doing this versus how it actually is looking and it kind of gets to like, and the fact that like, dude, like you're not that good at drums and you're already like, you know, you're putting out the dry ice and the strobe lights. Like you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be putting out like the visual elements of it until you're actually good at drumming. Like that, like that kind of gets to the, uh, fake hustle part of it that we talked about, you know, before with like the, you know, the precursor to like being an Instagram, you know, workout guy. And then the other one, I mean, obviously this is kind of like a comedy thing, but just kind of played up for laughs, but like lady L, <laughs> is just incredible. <laughs> I had that as one of his worst moments. Like, well, but no, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's one of his most embarrassing moments. But I like you could just totally see, you know, given you know what we know about him as a character, he's like, yeah, of course, I'm going to write this song. First of all, like he had never played guitar in his life before this, or like we had never seen him playing guitar. But now suddenly he knows two chords, and like he, and he's like, you know, I've been really influenced by Pete Townsendly as a songwriter. <laughs> like, and it's like, like that's just another one of those we talked about, like him just like assuming different identities. So like you know the the you know rock rocker drummer thing isn't really working out and then the stoner thing doesn't work out and then he's like you know no i'm a sensitive like singer songwriter guitar guy now like that's like <laughs> it's just kind of another one of those identities that's just like buried in there but you and obviously maybe there's that part of it but then you can also just totally see how he could just be like yeah you know i'm gonna write a song for Lindsay. that's gonna get her back like that's gonna work <laughs> it's it's interesting that you had those two compared with i didn't have either one of those but i think it speaks to you are much more into this type of music that he's into than I am. And so those would be the, the moments that connected with you. I had, you know, the, the disco dance in the final episode, I think is just a great moment. Like everything he's doing in that scene, like Jason Siegel, no fear, like unbelievable, just willing to go out there and look ridiculous. And the thing about it is he wasn't even bad. Like I I felt like he just looked insane. He's so tall, you know, like, like he, like he was not bad at, at doing the dance, but then it's just the other guy comes on and is like doing the card tricks and is just so much more like, okay, you can tell that one guy is just starting out doing this and the other guy has been doing it for years and is just way better at it than him. But honestly, yes. Nick, like in a vacuum, Nick's performance was just okay. Like he wasn't bad. Yeah, it was like, fine. He wasn't, he wasn't bad. And I think that was kind of the point of it where it wasn't like, cause obviously he really like wasn't very good at drums. Like he, cause he went in an audition for like that actual professional band at the one point and he was like clearly not up to their level at all. But, you know, with the, and so he was clearly better at dancing than he was at playing drum, relatively speaking. But then even then still, he's still not good enough to actually be taken seriously when you compare him to that next guy goes on in the content. Right. And the so the other uh, moment I had was actually another dance that he does when he moves in with the Weirs oh, and man. like he gets... <laughs> you know, Lindsay's mom and dad just dancing in the room and he's like twirling Mrs. Weir around. Yeah. And they're just all dancing in the living room and Lindsay walks in and she's like, what the fuck is going on here? And just walks out (laughs) of the living room. That to me is another unbelievable moment. Those two stuck with me this time around. That's just like, this is unbelievable. (laughs) characterization. Like they, they clearly like did not really like him when she was, where uh when he was dating Lindsay, and then like he moves into the house and he like instantly charms them even though he's like blowing off his homework and not doing the thing that he says he's most serious about and like blasting music during quiet hour yeah 
Like, oh man, so great. Um, okay, so the the worst moment. Um, I had every single second that he's obsessing over Lindsay uh-huh. is just absolutely cringeworthy. But the one to me that sticks out more than anything else was even before Nick and Lindsay start dating in the second episode, uh, Weirs and Beers, and Lindsay is outside and he's like comforting her and hugging her and she's crying and he is while he is hugging her simultaneously trying to take off her bra <laughs> and Lindsay is like dude what are you doing she's what's like, wrong totally, with she's you totally like it's totally like wait totally wait wait, wait. I, I haven't gotten to the the great to the worst part yet though and she's like what are you doing and nick first of all claims to be really wasted even though it is fake beer which nobody in the entire party notices except for ken who wins 87 dollars in quarters well that's but also just he... totally on brand for nick though to be like even though even those fake beer you could totally you know you know he's like excited because you know he's going to this party that all, all his friends are at and it's like cool and every, it's the party that everybody's going to and we're all gonna get drunk i could totally see him just like be like yeah man like this i'm totally wasted man I'm drinking this beer even like friends just kind of acting like it even though it's obviously not but real beer that's not even the worst part though though because he's like i'm just really wasted and she doesn't respond and she's still walking away and he just goes john bonham died (laughs) (laughs) which was referenced earlier in the episode as like a reason he was upset earlier in the day it's just an unbelievable line delivery and just the the moment that drives home like how pathetic and sad this guy really is absolutely and like everything that he'll do to to be Oh, man, it's just it's an unbelievable moment, honestly, to take a character like that. Oh, my God, it's great. <laughs> to me, his worst moment is the uh, the is the the in the episode where Lindsay is going to break up with him when they're in his basement before they go to the basketball game. He gives her that speech about how like, oh, you know, I had this. This is what happened with my last girlfriend. I'm, you know, now I'm really insecure about girls. Billy trying to be sympathetic, even though like he knows deep down that like that's still you know, he still is the way he is, but he thinks that saying it out loud will mean that, like, he's acting different this time. Really acting exactly the same way about Lindsay as he did about his first girl. Yeah, and then I think, you know, later in the same episode, like, after Mrs. Weir accidentally breaks up with him, right? Nick decides that he's gonna, you know, break up with Lindsay so he can not, you know, so he could be spared the embarrassment. Well, it was a, he's just trying to save face. It was like, you, it's, it's like, it's a, you can't fire me. I quit type of situation. Right. That's what I mean. Like that's a, that's another kind of bad moment. Anyway. Um, what was, you know, the, the episode or the moment where he became like a real locked in character for you? I'm interested to see what this is. I have, you know, a specific episode. I feel like it's going to be the same one. You mean in terms of just in terms of like, what do you mean by like a real locked in character? Um, you know, this was a, a question that, that Steve came up with, like what, at what point did he become, you know, real for you? Like, oh, this is a person that I recognize as a person as opposed to like a stock character. Oh, the first episode when he takes her to show her his drums. And he's like, man, I almost have more drums than Neil Peart from Rush. And I'm just like, yeah, OK, that was me. That was me. OK, so that was the literally like literally like 10 minutes into the show. Yeah. So it's it's different for you because that specific thing connects with you in such a personal way so for me it was the one like it's on a similar wavelength the 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 episode where they're you know trying to make battle of the bands like the first one with his dad Uh where you see like why nick is the way he is and just his dad shows absolutely no affection to him and it's just like 
the worst dude ever. Right. And, you know, everything about the way they interact shows you, like, everything you need to know about why Nick is the way he is. Like, uh-huh. their interactions completely are just like, that's it right there. And it's that's like the third or fourth episode or something like that. And it's just like, you instantly understand everything that happened in the previous few episodes. Right. No, that, yeah, totally. And then you kind of see just, you know, the difference where, but, and again, this is just kind of going back to the, uh, the, you know, the, the fake hustle thing, because he's the one, you know, he's like, he, he understands the idea of like trying to be good because like he, like, you know, during their band practice, like the band is obviously terrible and none of the other guys are like taking it seriously. And he's talking about like, come on, man, like we got to actually practice this. We got to actually take it seriously. But then he's like clearly not really taking it as seriously as he says he is either. And so that just kind of like that. It really does illustrate just like exactly who Nick is. Yes, 100 percent. And then I think, you know, similarly in the the episode late in the season when he moves in with the Weirs, it's like the same sort of thing. Um, yeah. Where it's just like he he's not taking things as seriously as he should be. And everything, you know, stems from his relationship or lack thereof with his dad. It's like it's sort of like a spiritual sequel, I guess, to the previous episode. Um, and sort of, I guess, sends Nick on the path that he goes for the rest of the season, because after that is when he starts dating Sarah and becomes, mm-hmm. you know, like a disco guy. Um, so the next question we have here, and I think our answers are definitely going to be different mm-hmm. on this one, because it's, would you be friends with him? And what would your friendship be like? And for you, it's 100% yes. Oh, God, and, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And for me, it was it's just like, honestly, no, like, I don't think we would be friends. So who on Freaks and Geeks would you be friends with, if anybody? Um, That's a good question. I don't know if necessarily any of the main characters. Uh-huh. Um, so like, cause like, what was your deal in high school? Like, what were you? Because you and I obviously didn't know each other until way later. No, no. I mean, I played football, but our team sucked. Uh-huh. Um. And so it was not like we were, you know, the the kings of the school, like the their portray, like the football and basketball team on Freaks So you were like Geeks, jock but, adjacent, but not like fully a jock. Right. Like I had friends from the football team and I had a group of friends that I grew up with. Like I lived in the same town from the time I was three until, you know, my parents still live in the same house uh-huh. that I grew up in. So I've known, you know, my close group of friends. The last one of them moved to my town when we were in second grade. So I was friends with the same group of people for a very long time, even before we got to high school. And I'm still friends with them now. And I, you know, don't see them as often. Obviously we all have, you know, different jobs, different lives and whatnot, but, and, you know, we were all athletes in different sports. Like I played football and for the first couple of years, basketball, some of us played best, some played basketball, some played soccer, some played baseball. Like we were all athletes in some way or another, but it wasn't like the thing that controlled our lives necessarily somewhat because you know we're not as serious you know as like you know texas high school football or something like that like we talked about on the last podcast with my brother um but yeah i mean like i had you know friends in different groups like it, it wasn't like all my friends were athletes or all my friends were the popular kids or all my friends were the nerds or the freaks or whatever like i was friendly with a lot of people not as friendly with other people like right we had a, a very very big high school class like my high school graduating class was you know like 500 something people so it was like it was not quite as delineatedly clicky as it tends to be portrayed on high school uh like on high school shows just because there's so many people like you end up interacting with every at some point right and i mean my my high school was sort of similar to that it was also a pretty big class but my school was also very I guess, segregated, not in the sense, uh, not racially, although it probably was too, but like, it was in the sense of like, 
you either are one of the kids that take AP classes or you're one of the kids that doesn't take AP classes. And that's basically the only people that you see. And I was sort of in in, in between because I did take all the AP classes and like I did pretty fine in school. Like I mostly got, you know, B's in those classes. But uh, so I was certainly not one of the students. Like there were definitely students who are like, you know, people who I was in a lot of those classes with who were like, you know, Millie or were like, you know, the mathletes or, or, or like, you know, the kids who were just like total straight A students. I was not that, but I also like, I was you know smart enough to be, I was kind of more close to Lindy than anything where like I was smart enough to be in those schools, but I, in, in those classes, but I was also not like school wasn't like my number one priority in high school. So it wasn't, I wasn't like getting straight A's and stuff. And I was also like, I had like friends who were like more of like the stoners and more like kind of more, you know, not so much as like only focused on school. So I was sort of, this is another reason why I'm sort of, you know, I, why I identify so much with Nick, because I feel like I was sort of like, I was kind of in between all those different groups. And I was like, I, I was sort of like you too, where like, I was, I didn't have a lot of people that I didn't like in high school, but I also like, you know, I had kind of friends all, all over the place and I didn't have like one core group that was like my core group. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did, but I also had like multiple core groups, right. I guess, but I was also, I was one of those people who was in all those good classes, but didn't care and right. was content getting like anywhere between a B minus and an A minus. And as long as like I didn't bring home a C that my parents would yell at me about, I pretty much didn't care what kind of grades that I got. Um, one of those annoying people that is like smart, but doesn't try. And because of that, doesn't do as well as they should. Like, right. that's why, you know, law school was an, an interesting transition for me because I mm-hmm. was always in like good classes, but never cared. And in high school and college, that was enough to still get A's and B's. And then in my first semester of law school, I was like, oh, wow, I need to learn how to study. Which right. I didn't know how to do. Um, so that was an, an interesting time. But so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would necessarily be friends with Nick, but I wouldn't, you know, be dismissive of him. I feel like he's he would be a guy where, you know, if I'd see him at a party, I'd smoke some weed with him. But then like I wouldn't be like, you know, calling him up to hang out. You know what I mean? Right. Right, you just be like, you know, kind of, you see me, you're like, hey, like, hey, what's up, how's it going? But he's not, like, one of your guys. Right, like, he, I would be, what's the word for it? Like, acquaintances, I guess. Yeah, like exactly. ca- Casual acquaintances, like, um, I, I wouldn't be going out of my way to hang out with him, but if I saw him out, I'd be like, you know, what's up, dude, and talk for a couple minutes, and if he's like, uh-huh. yo, I'm gonna, you know, roll up this joint and smoke it in the back, do you want to come? I'd be like, yeah, why not, uh-huh. you know? You know, the the high school version of me, at least. I, don't, I haven't smoked in a while. Um, anyway, um, what is the actor's influence on the character? Um, I think we can see that pretty clearly. Like, you know, we talked about it earlier. Every other Jason Siegel character is essentially this character. Right. And like, you know, he's, you know, musically inclined, if not necessarily talented. Obviously, we know Jason Siegel is that way, too. You know, right. he has the same musical tastes as Jason Siegel does, which he gives all of his characters like he's obviously an enormous person like jason siegel um you know he's which they make reference to when he plays basketball yes and jason siegel was a high school basketball player who was the backup to jason and jaron collins on their high school basketball team i think i knew that he's talked about it in a bunch of interviews most recently i think uh when he was on simmons podcast he talked about it then um but yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear like the character in a lot of ways is very similar uh-huh. to Jason. C. Um, yes. But do you think anybody else could have played him? Um, you know, we're talking about either if they were casting the show now or if they were casting the show at the time or any other time, do you think there are other actors that could have pulled off this character? I have a bunch of 
different nominees. Most of them, I think, have something slightly off or they would have been, you know, different in some way. But I, I did settle on two that I think could have actually pulled it off at some point in their careers. But I have others that, that couldn't. Do you think there's anybody else that could have done it? I mean, it's just so hard to be, I think because he plays the exact same character in this show that he plays in all of his other shows, like you just identify this exact character with Jason Siegel so much because it's so similar to his other characters. Like I, I guess the closest thing is like other, you know, other characters or other actors in kind of the Apatow universe. But like, even then it's like, no, this is like such a Jason Siegel character. I, I just looked up all the tallest actors because I feel like that's a very big part Okay. of the character like there's there's so much he could be doing you know with with his size like he obviously was a good basketball player and smoked himself off the team like he so i went through tall actors and so like army hammer not really goofy enough to do it a little bit too good looking to do it like he's not he's not goofy enough you know vince vaughn too good looking as a young guy i think you know polished. you look at like yeah like Joe Manganello or Jason Momoa, too buff. All of the Hemsworths, way too good looking. Joel McHale, not goofy enough. The two guys that I settled on that I think could have pulled off the actual character were young Jeff Goldblum and okay. young Tim Robbins. And I think Tim Robbins, you can see it very much in like Nuke Lelouch. He could have pulled off, you know, lanky looking, awkward basketball player the same way he did lanky looking, awkward baseball. Yeah, no, I could see it. It's it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same. It it wouldn't be the same just because Jason Siegel is such a very particular kind of actor, but you know, I, I did try to find people that I thought could have done it or just were in the 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 general look and feel of the right. character. And that's before you get into like, you know, do you wanna make Nick not tall or do you wanna make Nick not goofy white guy, like, you know, race blind casting or anything like that. Or, right. you know, someone to, to fill the role who is different in some way. I was just looking for, you know, tall white guy, like who could fill that goofy, tall white guy, stoner basketball player, drummer type of role. And those were, you know, the guys that I came up with anyway. Um, so we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's, I think it's interesting to, to have a more fleshed out discussion on it. Could the show have existed without him? I mean, they probably could have written a different type of, I think the show couldn't exist without this type of, like, without that character filling that role. I think there's probably other ways you could have, you know, made things about him different where, like, okay, maybe drumming isn't his hobby or maybe, you know, it's it's it's, it's something else. Or, like, there are ways you could tweak it where maybe he's a different character, but you have to have this, some version of this character on the show, I think, to make it work because he's sort of the bridge between, like, Lindsay, who's like barely just dipping her toe into hanging out with the freaks versus people like Daniel, who are like just way more hardcore. Like he's like, like you kind of have to have that bridge. Who's also like her weird boyfriend. And it's also like, she is, uh, he is very clearly the guy that she settles for after uh -huh. Daniel gets back with Kim. Like, I think they make it pretty clear in the first couple episodes that like, she's trying to hang out with them because she likes Daniel. Right. And, you know, wants to, you know, see what it would be like to be with, you know, the, the stoner bad guy. Uh -huh. Um, and then, you know, after they get back together at her party, then eventually, you know, she forms sort of the, you know, connection with Nick. And like, I do think you need to have like that fallback guy within the group of friends where she's like, you know, I, I started this to get in with Daniel, but you know what? He seems like he's pretty cool, too. And then she realizes that he's not what <laughs> she thought he was. Right. But then they also still have like stuff in common and like 
because I mean, I, you and I disagreed on this uh, when we talked when I briefly brought it up before. But to me, it's so obvious that in the last episode that she's still like. Oh, re- I really don't think so. Like, I think I don't see how there's like, any other way to interpret that scene. I think it's like that she liked that he liked her, and in the the last scene, she's like either she either buys it and is relieved that he's not still trying to get her back, or she knows that he was trying to get her back and like doomed himself to this dumb relationship that he's not actually interested in but she knows she's not interested in getting back with him like you know she she very immediately goes and like takes off with kim because that's what she's gonna do now i think like if she was still actually interested in nick i don't think she goes and leaves with kim to go follow the dead around but you know well but i also think that if she left to like she didn't stay to watch the dance competition because i don't think she wanted to see him with his new girlfriend that he was so happy with and you know you know during that conversation that they had she was like you know you just seem so happy right now and you're you know and and she was like yeah i noticed like you haven't been smoking weed as much so it's like and like i you know and and it seemed like because she kept saying that like you know i really you know because during like that, that episode where that was like a problem for him, she was talking about like, oh, you're so great when you're not high. And like, I think now that like she she's kind of seeing more of him when he is kind of himself, she kind of likes him more again. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see that interpretation. I just interpreted mm-hmm. it more as like relief that, you know, he was not doing this all for her. That was sort of the right. way um, I came at it. Um, mm-hmm. obviously he was doing it all for her, but you know, it's either she bought it or she didn't buy it and was like, oh my God, I feel, you know, sort of pity for him, I guess. But you know, everybody can interpret it obviously different ways. I, I do think that there is a way that the show could have existed without him, but it would have been just much different. Um, and it, it would have been off a little bit. I think like it, yeah. it certainly could have existed without, like that specific character who was both the boyfriend and the weird friend, like you could have split that into two different characters, but I think merging them into one is what makes the show, you know, it it makes the show more interesting for having that be the same guy. Right. It would have just kind of, and then you have more characters in the mix. There's more different characters you have to develop and more different plot lines that have, like it just kind of throws off the whole dynamic. Right. And you might not get like as much of a, you know, deep characterization as you do get for Nick or for Kim or, you know, when you see Daniel's family, like, you know, even already you don't get much characterization of Ken beyond like the two episode arc with, his girlfriend like you don't find out really anything about him personally beyond that and that he doesn't like when you know nick gets obsessed over a girl that's really only the only things that you find out about you know his personal life in any way other than the you know offhand comment he has about taking over his dad's business selling it and then moving to some island so so like even, even a character who is not a main character but sort of close to one doesn't really get developed all that much you know they they develop uh, Sam, Bill, and Neil, Neil. pretty fully. Um, but Ken, I think, gets sort of the short shrift compared to those guys. And then if you split Nick into two different characters, you know, the boyfriend and the other friend, it becomes even more unlikely that everybody gets his play characters, even as... The- yeah, totally agree. So, Nick Andopoulos, any, uh, any final thoughts here on just, you know, him as a character, Jason Siegel, the show, anything else? What do you got? I mean, this is just, it's just been so much fun. Like one, one of the, obviously there's not a lot that's good about this current situation that's going on right now, being stuck inside, but I had been meaning to rewatch this show for a long time and, you know, us being stuck inside all, you know, for the last month, plus you doing this podcast now and me wanting to do it. Like it gave me an excuse to do it. And I'm just, it's so good. Like it's, it's so like, 
I've I said this before, but I think there has never been a better TV show made than this. I um I think there have been better shows, but it is one of my favorites, certainly, uh-huh. and one of the most enjoyable to go back and rewatch. I just think like, you know, objective quality like the Sopranos and the Wire, you know, better TV shows. It's well, sure, uh, but like but just from like start to finish, and I said this earlier, there's no weak characters and there's no weak plot line on this show. Like every single episode, will, like character has great honestly, lines. Honestly, like the the we- anything that's weak about the show is like the cringeworthy moments of Nick and Lindsay. And it's not that they're weak, it's that it's cringeworthy and it's just like you feel Which it's like that on purpose. Right, right. And it's it's you know, they carry the same thing over into Undeclared and forgetting Sarah Marshall, the same sort of character that Jason Siegel plays, you know, like uh-huh. it's, it's very clearly something that those guys want to explore. Like, you know, the, the man who doesn't know who he is and sort of defines himself through, you know, the, the girlfriend or whatever that he has. And when he loses, that becomes crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know that they necessarily view it like that as much as like, it's funny when, uh, you know, a super tall dude becomes obsessed with this girl and starts crying and whatnot. Um, which it is, but it's it's also like it's pathetic in a very specific way, um, and they they do really good comedy about it. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they've done it a lot, and this is where it all started. And it was great, and I loved rewatching it. And it was good to talk about Nick and to get you know a different perspective on Nick, I guess, mm-hmm. than I used to have. Um, you know, it was fun. And yeah. uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's hope we get basketball back on our screen sometime soon hopefully i'm not holding uh, my breath but yeah hopefully that'd be great it would be nice you know hopefully nick is uh watching basketball somewhere i would imagine so that was like the early 80s so he would have to be like in his late 50s or 60s by now what did you think of of coach frederick's uh russell and wilt take i don't remember exactly the episode where he was having where you know he was taking uh he's like look you know bill russell has all the rings but they had to change the rule for Will. Like he was just like talking, like have have just these hot takes about Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain, and that and the, the three boys were just like totally uninterested. <laughs> but I I feel like Bill should have been pretty good at basketball. Martin Starr is a tall guy too. Like, yeah. although I don't know that I could see Martin Starr pulling off like the the great athlete. Um, obviously right. he's played a lot of other good characters and some not as good characters. Like his character in the Veronica Mars movie is oh. very strange. But any, anyway, you should watch it, and I'm going to yeah. talk about it soon. Anyway, Sean. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. This was fun. And um, yeah, thanks for listening, folks.